Hey, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to have you together with us. It's actually the series that we're continuing today is Together. By the way, I hope you enjoyed the extra hour of sleep I gave you last night. I have a deal that if you come to church, I'll give you an extra hour of sleep. I'm going to want it back in the spring, though, okay? So make sure I get that. Hey, I'm really glad that you're with us. Uh, last week, we talked about what, what God does when we're together in worship. And uh, today, we're going to be talking about what God does when we're in the Word together. God's Word, the Bible. And you know, as I, as I think about that, uh, I want to go right to a passage in the Bible. Let's go right to it, shall we? It's in the book of Deuteronomy. It's an Old Testament book. Deuteronomy chapter 11 is where we're going to be and stay planted this morning. And uh, this is a passage that really kind of shares God's heart for his word. It kind of shows us what God does when we get together and spend some time in his word. Take a look at verse 18 of Deuteronomy chapter 11. It says this, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And we're going to come back to this to really understand it. But this is a picture of an invitation by God to join him in his word. You know what? We've never lived in a time in the Bible, uh, in, in our lives or in history, where the Bible, the word of God, has been more accessible to us. In a recent article by Ed Stetzer in Christianity Today, he said that the average American has, this is Christian or not, has at least three Bibles in their home. And with technology placing the Bible at our fingertips wherever we are, uh, we can have it and we can download it for free. Yet with such unparalleled accessibility, only 45% of church-going people in the, in the U.S. read God's Word even once a week. Only 20% of churchgoers read it daily, and another 20% read it not at all. And because we don't read God's word, it's logical that we don't know God's word, right? And so we drift. And this is not just in the U.S. If we jump across the Atlantic in a recent survey in England with children, they had to match up what, what stories were actually in the Bible and 30, 30% of them said that the birth of Jesus was not in the Bible. Uh, 59% did not know that about Jonah being swallowed by a great fish. 30% had no idea uh, of British adults. Then they moved over to adults. They didn't know that Adam and Eve, that David and Goliath, that the Good Samaritan, that those stories were in the Bible. But what, what uh, stories they did put in the Bible, because they looked at a whole bunch of different stories, ones that they did classify, 27% believe Superman is in the Bible. <laughs> really? I mean, the Marvel comic guy, he's old, but he's not that old. And 33% believed Harry Potter was in the Bible. 54, this is a big one, 54% believe the Hunger Games is in the Bible. Oh, but Joe, I mean, I volunteer as tribute. Isn't that a picture of Jesus? It's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. You see, uh, biblical accessibility is high, but biblical literacy, understanding it, is really low. And I think that's because we like to have it close to us, but not engage it. We like to live around it, 
but not have it live in us. And if this is true of our church, then 80% of us, after we leave this place, are fairly distant and disengaged from the very truth and the very word that God uses to transform our lives. Now, we get it that engaging God's word is more than just knowing the stories, right? It's about knowing and understanding and loving and obeying God. It's about who he is, what he's saying, how he works, what we can do uh, to have a relationship with him. And what we believe about God's word and about God is called theology. That word theology is either going to be informed by yourself in kind of words like this. I don't know if you've heard this. I don't know what the Bible says, but I'd like to think God is. That's a self-informed theology. I know that some people or even the church teaches this. I don't believe that. I think that to me, God is. And when we do that, God gets really small. And if we're not careful, God becomes us. We worship our own minds, our own thoughts, what makes sense to us. But theology is to be informed by God. And God revealed himself to us in his word so that we can draw near to him, we can understand him, we can respond to him and who he is. Now, I get it. I mean, a recent survey, also research from Lifeway Research, surveyed more than 2,900 Protestant churchgoers. And they found that 90% have this desire. They desire to please and honor Jesus in all they do. Yet, only 19% of them personally read the Bible daily. And here's the truth. Folks, there is no transformation without God's word. There is no obedience without a word to obey. There's no relationship with Christ without the word of God. And the truth is, we must engage it. We must set it up in our lives. We must prepare our lives for it. We must live for it, lean into it. We must accept it by faith, and we must practice it and enjoy it and love it. And by doing so, we actually engage God. We prepare for him. We listen to him, we follow him, we love him, we enjoy him when we get into his word. Now, there's one thing about the truth of God, but there's also the love of God. And God relates to us in his word. His word is a relationship. Relationships speak. Words matter in relationship. And God gave us his word as something very powerful and tangible to change us. And the truth is that God loves us in his word. We're reminded we're not alone. We're not isolated. That God cares, that he's active, that he's aware, that he's involved, that he's powerful. He's speaking to us in his word. He's loving us in his word. He's working in us. He's calling us to him by his word. And so getting into God's word is far more than just reading it. Although I'm going to call you to that today. Getting into God's word together moves us from readers to followers. And that's kind of the image I want you to have in mind. There's one thing with you just reading the word. But here, I think if if we can view getting into God's word as something that we're willing to follow him with, that's what God calls us to do. To, To not just be a hearer of the word, but to do what the word says. If we just hear it and stop with that, we're really deceiving ourselves. God is calling us to follow him. And uh, as we started in the book of Deuteronomy, this book of Deuteronomy, it's from a Latin word that literally, literally means the second law. 
In other words, the law was repeated from earlier as God gave it in the book of Exodus. Moses is the key leader in Israel's history. They had just come out of bondage and slavery in Egypt, and they were in the wilderness, and God was going to put them in the promised land, land that he promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham. I will bless you. I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And here they were right on the precipice of going into the promised land. And and the book of Deuteronomy just carries, it's like someone just wrote down the sermons of Moses saying, hang on to God's word, love him in the word, follow him, enjoy and delight him in his word. He was calling them to follow him. If we were to take the Hebrew word for Deuteronomy, we wouldn't get Deuteronomy. We would actually get a word that sounds like this, Ela Hadabarim, which literally means these are the words. Israel had such a high respect for the word of God that they didn't even name it that. They called it, these are the words. The book of Deuteronomy is quoted 80 times in the New Testament. Jesus, when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, quoted the book of Deuteronomy Three times with each of those three temptations. It was probably one of the key books of the New Testament church when it comes to gathering their lives and centering their lives around God and his word. And God calls us back. God calls us back to listen to him this morning and to gather together in his word and to follow him. Let's take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 11, beginning with verse 18. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you're sitting in your house and when you're walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. For if you are careful, if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways, and holding fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you, and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the Lebanon and from the river, the river Euphrates to the western sea. No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land that you shall tread as he promised you. This passage kind of shows us three things that God does when we gather together in his word. And the first one is this. God builds a movement. God builds a movement. Now think about uh, how this is shown in this passage. Uh, and let me give you a little bit broader picture of how God's word comes from God to us. But that's the picture of God's word. God's word is powerful. God, it comes from a loving heavenly father who is full of truth and grace. And he reveals himself to us in his word. All truth, all grace comes from God. He is the one who reveals himself to us. And we are then to look to him and allow God to speak to us. 
Look at what it says here. He says, you shall lay up these words of mine. That literally means like if you're cleaning up something or something is scattered or you're distant from something, you grab it, you hold it up, and you make it valuable again. You make it significant in your life. You center your life around it. So when God's word comes to you, you should have some respect for it. It should be a priority in your life. It's actually God speaking to you. And where does it go once it comes to you? Well, in your heart. It's the first place. In your heart. What happens in your heart? You make a lot of motives. You have a lot of intentions. You make a lot of decisions with your heart. You process your emotions. You deal with your fears. You struggle with anxiety. Where does that happen? In your heart. God's word is to inform that part of you that makes decisions. That part that might be insecure. That part that might be open. When I open up my heart to God, it's amazing. When I'm vulnerable with God and share my heart with him and I lay up his words, then transformation starts to happen. But it moves from your heart to your soul. The soul is a really significant part of you. It will last forever. Our souls will either either last in eternity with God or eternity without God. You are eternal. That's why you're so priceless. That's why your lives matter because you will live forever. And so God has called you to inform your soul, your longings, your future, your hope. And he wants your hope, your delight, your longings to be informed by his word. And then it says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. The Jews literally took the word of God, put it on leather straps and bound it around their hands. And they kind of missed the point. Because hands is code word. It's code word for everything you do should be informed by the word of God. So when we're about to say something, we probably shouldn't say, we probably need to pull back and go, would God have me say this? When we're about to act in anger in a way that would probably dishonor God, we're supposed to pull back and go, is this consistent with God's word on forgiveness, on love, on anger, on bitterness? And our every action that we do is to be guided by God's word. And then look at that last one. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. The Jews, again, kind of got this wrong. They took a wooden box. They put scriptures written on some little pieces of leather. They put them inside that box, and they strapped the box right in the middle center of their forehead. So they'd go around and go, I'm a person of the word. I'm a person of the word. Can you imagine how you'd be on a Sunday? Hey, how's it going? You know, you'd be looking. Your eyes would be crossed, and you'd be distracted by the act, and you would miss what God is saying here. He's saying... The word is to inform the way you see reality, is to be. Nothing, your brain, your brain, you may not realize this, most recent research on what your brain processes, the most amount of energy it processes is what you see. It tries to make sense of what's visible to you. And you know what? On what's visible, what's reality? We need God's word to inform us. We need God to tell us, this is who I am. This is who you are. This is what this world is happening in the world. Can you think of a better time amidst all the spin of our culture to be informed by the word of God, to look to the word of God and to have it interpret what's happening in our world today? We need that. And so God makes that movement where it comes from God to us, and then it's to really resonate with us. It's to affect everything. That's why we're called to love God with our heart, our soul, our mind, and all our strength. Because it's, it's along this principle that the word of God informs and should direct all these areas of our lives. 
But now it's not just supposed to stay in us. It's to move through us. And that's why, that's why it goes uh, to the, the picture of the home. And he talks about your children. And it says that you shall write them on the doorposts of your home. But it also says you should teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house, when you are walking by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. That means life. You process all of life with the word. That means as a parent, if you have a child, the greatest legacy is the word of God received and practiced in their lives. Now that is countercultural. If you've got an adolescent, your concerns right now might be their academic progress, might be their athletic prowess, it might be their attitude. And so as parents, we can get it swept into that. Where do you stand? What's your class rank? What's your scholarship opportunity? And we may, we may show that our acceptance of our children is based on their performance. And parents, don't buy that lie. That'll kill the soul and the heart of your child. What, what's the greatest thing? Are, are we giving them the word? Are we living the word in this home so that they don't, they don't just get principles, they get a life. They get the experience that it's talking about it in your drive time. You're talking about the word of God and a relationship with God. Write them on the doorposts of your house. Live them because then it even says, and on your gates. This even means that when the people of God live the word of God, cities are affected. Cities can flourish. Here it says, and on your gates. That, That means there's a difference with the word of God. And, and I think that's really key because there's a lot of people who say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, and it means nothing more than they wear a cross around their neck. And what God really calls us into is, do we know him? Do we understand him as, as, as he's revealed himself in his word? And are we living it? Are we really living who we say we are? And by the way, Christian means Christ follower, and a follower of Jesus follows Jesus. That's just my definition. It's self-defining. You follow Jesus, which means we follow his word, his commands for our lives, and on your gates. It affects, and then it even goes to affect the land. It says that the days, your days, and the days of your children might be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore your fathers to give them. Think about that. See this movement? This starts when we are in the word together. That's what God wants us to do to realize is that he is alive and he's working and he's active. Whether it's me or someone else preaching, we have the same word. And it's the same God who's coming into our lives and he's saying, get to know me, love me, follow me, endure with me. And we get that with the word. So God builds that movement. You can be part of that movement every time you show up here. Every time you're in a small group, every time you're with other believers around the word of God, join this movement because don't let that word be just something that resonates in your ear. Let it move and reverberate in your life and out from your life to everyone around you so that you don't just teach it, but people catch it from you. I love that phrase about John Bunyan. He said, um, they said that he knew the scriptures so much that if you pricked him, he bled the Bible. (laughs) I think that's the greatest legacy we could leave our kids. That's the greatest legacy you could leave someone in life is a legacy of the word lived out in a life. So there's a movement. And then what else does God do when we get together in the word? He, He deepens our trust. He deepens and grows our faith. Look at what it says in verse 22. It says, for if you will be careful 
to do all this commandment that I command you to do, what does that look like? Well, he explains it. There's three phrases. The first one, loving the Lord your God. We're called to love God. Do you know love is the greatest motivation that's going to get you in the word? If I said, get in the word, people just get in the word. If you're a Christian, get in the word. You go, okay, I'll get in the word. But if you actually realize God is loving you with his word, in, in a loving relationships, words matter. Maybe you have someone in your family who withhold words when you're not loving to them. It's called the silent treatment. No nudge zone, okay? But how many of us live with someone who, when they get in, they're not going to give you any words, okay? We've got a God who endures with us, who keeps speaking to us no matter where we are because he's going to love us through thick and thin. And he's going to call us, if I love you, would you respond to my love? How do you respond to his love? Listen to his word, love him. Realize that God is motivated by love. There is nothing that God would call you to do in his word that would hurt your relationship with him. Nothing. God is always motivated by his love. Secondly, obey him. Here it says, walking in all his ways. Wow, in other words, we're called to obedience. And I like how it's tied together with love. There is, when there is love, there is a willingness to obey. Jesus said in John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's just that picture. When you love someone, you serve them. Their words have value to you. When you don't love someone and you disrespect someone and they feel disrespected, I mean, any word you say to them or them to you are like, what do they mean by that? I'll tell you, there they go again. They never, they always. And we start writing those stories that are toxic for relationship. If you don't trust the word of God, you're going to really struggle with loving God. But when you love him, you'll trust what he says, says to you. We do that. We do that already in relationships. And that's because we've been made for relationship for God to love us and to speak to us through his word and for us to listen to that and to respond to him, obey him, obey him. I know some of us give pushback. I don't like the word obedience. Why? Because I have authority issues. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, go on, live that self-informed life. How's that working out for you? And we just show that picture. Just watch the news, show the picture. Self-informed life, self-informed life. Just spirals. We need to be grounded in God's word. By the way, just in case you're wondering, when you come to Jesus, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you give up your right to determine by yourself what's right and wrong. You do. We do. All of us do. And all of us have issues that are sensitive. All of us have issues that uh, don't apply to us, and we go, yeah, the Bible says that. And then there's issues that really apply to us. I I think really what Jesus meant was that. So we don't have to change. And that's a picture of foolishness. A fool would rather change the truth so they don't have to change. A wise person, a wise person, it's never a picture of perfection for a wise person. So step back from the picture of perfection. A wise person just has a picture that when the light of the truth hits their lives, they change to reflect the truth. So if you're wise, you have a pattern of change in your life. If you're foolish, You resist change. You make excuses why it doesn't apply to you. Obedience 
needs to come out of a heart of love. And then look at that last one, holding fast to him. What this means is that we endure with him. We endure with him as he deepens our faith. The Hebrew word for holding fast was a word just sounds like this, dabak, which literally means bonded together like glue. So strongly bound that if the two things that are, are pulled apart, the bond doesn't break, one of them breaks. And this is used in Genesis chapter 2 when God says, uh, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be debacked to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Marriage is a picture of that, an enduring, holding fast, inseparable bond till death do we part. And we're called to that with God. And that means there are going to be times when we, he asks us to follow him that uh, we just have to cling on to him and go, for no other reason, I'm hanging on to them. I don't, I don't understand this one. There's going to be other decisions we make. We go, okay, wow, that's free. That's freeing from this problem. I will trust him. But we hold fast to him. We don't walk away. We don't wander. Because what is God doing? He, he is building us together. He is deepening our trust. I find that when I'm studying the word of God with a group of people, when I'm even preaching in an environment like this, and I know some of you and what's going on with your lives, when some of you have a really horrible marriage, but you're hanging on because God has put you together, man, when I have a bad day in marriage, I want to be like you. So when God joins us together, he deepens our trust. Some of you just had a, a horrible medical diagnosis some of your spouses have cancer and are dying and you're hanging on to the hand of the lord and you're enduring with him holding fast to him i want to be like you if i ever get news like that we're never promised perfection this side of heaven we're never promised that all your wildest dreams will come true we are promised that god will always hold fast to us that he always loves us he's always going to call us back to him this is who God is. This is who we are. That's what the word calls us into. God deepens our trust. And finally, God multiplies a blessing. God multiplies a blessing. It says, if you're careful to do this, if careful to, to love the Lord your God, walk in his ways, hold fast to him, look what he will do. Look what it says here. Verse 23, the Lord will drive out all these nations before you. You will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. That's pretty awesome. The nations that were in the promised land were stronger than Israel. They had far more weapons, far more technological advances. But God says, I will, whoop, I will deliver you out of that. And I will deliver you in. I will lead you in. And that's always that picture with God's word. Look at verse 24 says, Every place on with the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. They didn't have Fitbits back then. But God still asked them to count their steps. Because every step they took was the territory that he had promised Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and now they could experience with him. Every step they took, God had provided for them. He was leading them in, but he had to deliver them out of danger. Did you realize this? When we get together in the word, God is always delivering us out of something to lead us into something better. We've got to trust God on that one. And when, when we're in the word together, he's always doing that. What's it for you? What is God right now wanting to deliver you out of so he can lead you into something better? 
I'll tell you some of the things he's delivered me out of. He's delivered me out of materialism. I grew up in a wealthy family. We didn't have any needs, but I had a ton of wants. And I used to believe that I could buy my happiness and joy and satisfaction in life. And I came to church every week too. But I had this shadow mission in life. That if I had one more gadget, if I upgraded to that model, if I had, my life would be better. And it caused me to spend more than I made. And it killed me with debt. It killed me with joy. And I had to make a point where I go, God, I know you want to lead me out of this. And I know you love me. You want to lead me. So you know what he led me to? He led me. He, he delivered me out of materialism. He led me into generosity. And I didn't believe him at first. Because I was like, wait a minute. Giving's a waste of money. That's all the church wants. Man. I, I mean, giving is a loss. And all my fears before it were self-informed and self-led. I let God, I started seeing how I have a good father who's generous in all that he does, who's given me the inexpressible gift of Jesus. And I started reflecting more of who he is. And I started to give. And it's amazing. I started to make decisions that didn't spend it all. And over time, that was a powerful motivator. In my marriage, that was the greatest decision Cheryl and I have ever made, is to give together. And what God has done is he's given me joy through that process. But he delivered me out of materialism to lead me into generosity. Another thing that God has delivered me from was anxiety and worry. I would lose sleep night after night, especially as our church grew from 100 to where it is today. And I knew I had to make changes and it was overwhelming and I was hurting for people. I thought I was the answer to everyone's problem and I lost sleep. I lost a lot of hair too. And I had to realize that people, I can't change people, but Jesus can. And I had to start trusting people with God. I had to trust this church to other leaders than just me. I had to trust other people who actually did it better than me. But God has moved me now into a deeper trust and of less anxious nights on that. I had to also, God delivered me out of acceptance, of, of really loving to, be, loving to be liked and respected and admired and accepted by people. And boy, it's hard. In a church where there's a lot of sheep, some sheep bite and I can't get everyone to like me. And I tried. I really tried. And it's empty. And it's frustrating. And you quit listening to the Lord when you try to please everyone. And so God had to deliver me out of that passion to be loved and accepted by people so that I could find my significance and acceptance fully through him and what Christ has done for me. What does God want to deliver you out of so he can lead you into something better? See, when we're in the word, that's what God does. He builds the movement. He builds a movement of his love and his grace and his truth through our lives. It comes to us, in us, and through us. He deepens our trust. He actually allows you to look around you and to see other people who are loving him, living in his ways and enduring with him, and your faith grows. And then he blesses you. He delivers you out of something to lead you into something greater. All this happens. All this happens when we engage God with his word. Why, why would we not want to spend time with God listening to him in his word? 
So if this is what God does when we get into the word together, how can we make the best of our time together? Well, number one, to move from a reader to a follower, I'm just going to talk to you about getting into the word on a daily basis. The first one is to center your life on God's word. Remember what uh, God said to Moses. He said, lay up these words of mine in your heart, in your soul, on your hands, in your eyes. How do you do that? We've got to make a priority to get into God's word, right? And I just want to tell you, there's three environments that we try to get into God's word here. One is this environment. You're already here. Thanks for being here. And God's going to build that movement. He's going to deepen our trust and he's going to multiply a blessing by us being here. But then there's a small group. And in a small group, you can actually discuss the word of God. You can have interactive relationship with people. And it's not just one person talking. You can actually say, this is what God is saying to me in his word. That's powerful. Your faith grows when you can start articulate what God is saying to you. Your faith will grow every time. I've been in a small group since we started them. I'm the pastor of this church. And everyone in my small group has contributed to me growing in my walk with Christ. Guys who couldn't read the Bible in the beginning are now teaching the Bible when we spend time in his word together. But then we also call you into a reading plan. And the reading plan is daily. And if you download our app, search this, write this down in your notes, FBC Topeka. If you search that in the app store or in the Google Play Store, you will come up with our church app. When you download that app, it'll have a daily reading. That daily reading is that big intention, center your life on God's word. I preach most of the weekends on a passage that you've read during the week so we can be aligned. And as God is using it, he's preparing you to listen to the teaching of it on the weekend. This is all aligned. This morning, it was Proverbs 6. I read Proverbs 6 in about four minutes. I did, but it's good. And out of that time, there's going to be two verses, one or two verses that stand out to me. And God was speaking to me to those two verses. And I realigned to those issues God was talking to me. And I, I applied that to my life, and I prayed for that in my life. That acronym, read, examine, apply, and pray, reap. That's the simplest way we can get people to center on God's word. I would like you to download that app and go through our reading plan with us. Some of you have known Jesus for a long time and you scale, you spend hours a day in the word. God bless you. God bless you. But most of us are not. And so pray, pray for us as a church is you're high and lofty on that. God bless you on that. Keep growing, keep, but understand you have other brothers and sisters here who need to get into God's word. And this is our first step to do it. Prepare yourself to get into God's word. There's two types of people in this world. When they walk into a room, one person says, here I am. Look at me. These people love selfies. They're always, look at me. Look at where I am right now. Look at my kids. Look at their progress. And we post them all on social media. We're always revealing about ourselves, but we're not always sensitive to what others are revealing to us. Here am I will kill your time in the word. God, here I am. Say what I want to hear. Do what I want you to do. Make my life awesome. And you will resist God's word. There's a second type of person when they come into the room and they are the there you are people. And they look around them and they look for who's there, not that they're there. And that's how we approach God's word. We walk into his word 
And we go, this is who you are. And as he reveals to us who we are, we respond to that. Don't show up in your time. God, you better not mess with my life. This person is important to me. I love them. They said they love me, but they could care less about you. Don't change me with them. Don't mess with me. Don't be a here I am kind of person with God. Be there you are and learn about him and love him and obey him. And when you prepare your heart, for me, I even have, man, if I have anger against someone, if I'm not getting along with my wife, I forgive them before I go to God's word so he can get to my heart. If I'm harboring anger in my heart, I'm I'm saying, God, no, you can't deal with that. I've got to be forgiving. And here's the deal. Every time I've humbled my heart for God, he's spoken to me. Every time I've resisted him, I've had a difficult time hearing him in his word. Prepare your heart for his word. And then when he speaks, lean in, lean in. What this means is I just take away distractions from me. I am easily distracted. Hi, I'm Joe. I haven't been tested because I'm afraid I'll be ADD. But I know I am. My wife tells me it all the time. But you know what? In a loving relationship with her or with the Lord, I got to clear away the distractions. There can't be another screen going on. It's not Monday night football in Jesus. It can't work. I mean, even when the Packers are playing, and that's God's team and all, I mean, I have to listen to the Lord. I got Hinkle back there going, mm-mm, verse. Okay, go Chiefs. But I have to clear away. I have to clear away those distractions so I can clearly hear from the Lord. That means when someone's important to you and they're saying something that's important, you lean in. You lean in. You listen. You give them eye contact. And then love and obey it. Love and obey the word. Realize God is loving you with his word. He's going to, if he's, if he's going to deliver you out of something or someone, he's going to lead you into something greater. Trust me on that. Trust God's word on that. And what you'll find over time is that you'll enjoy time in the word. It may not start out as this huge burning bush experience, but over time, as you tune your ears to who God is, you develop You develop a deeper relationship with your trust goes deeper and your blessing multiplies in your time in the word. Here's the deal. Your time in the word is always going to translate your relationship with God. In in the word, you're going to center your life around him. You're going to prepare to meet with him. It's a relationship. You're going to lean into him. The almighty God of the universe wants to speak to you. Don't let any excuse keep you from listening to him and leaning into him, from loving and obeying him, from enjoying him. God wants a relationship with you. And he's already speaking. Are we leaning in? So here's what I want us to do. I want us at least to start. I want you to download that app, or you can stop at the Welcome Center and pick up one of our reading plans in old school paper, okay? And you can get into God's word. Just follow the date on that. How many of you will get into God's word each day this week? Don't worry about next week. Just this week. How many of you will do that this week? I'm waiting. Let's make it more than 19%. Please help me. Okay. (laughs) Operators are standing by. Keep your hands up. All right. Folks, let's give God an opportunity to speak to us and to live through us. Okay.
Now, I'm not going to check up. I'm not going to be a Bible Nazi on you today. But I, I, I'm telling you, don't make this guilt and shame. Make this about a relationship. God speaking to you and loving you through his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us through your word. We thank you so much that when we get together in your word, you build a movement through us. You deepen our trust. You multiply your blessings. So may we be your people, your children, loved by our Heavenly Father, who are willing to clear away all the distractions so we can prepare for you, lean into you, love and obey you, and enjoy you through our time in the word. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.